Blog Talk Radio. Another episode of Indie Fire right here with your girl, Nakia. How you guys been? I feel like I've been away from you like all week. And I I, I think I have because there was no show on Monday and there was no show on Tuesday. Well, actually, we had New Music Mondays on Monday. Uh, and we debuted a lot of new music, which, which is going to bring me to the next topic. All right. So let me just get right here for a minute and say, yo, I haven't been with you since Monday. So it does feel like, you know, it's been a minute since I've been here. But I'm back. And I'm happy, and I'm happy, and I'm happy to be back with you this evening. All right, so Monday we debuted, uh, like I said, a lot of new music and several tracks from uh, Nigerian artists. Now, do you remember last month when we did the the Grime Takeover, the UK Grime Takeover, and we had all artists from the UK uh, for that? Yeah, I want to do the same thing like this coming Monday for all Niger artists, all right? So if I don't have any music, you need to get it to me very quickly so we can get it in rotation for Monday, what is Monday, the 22nd? Let me see, hold on. Yes, Monday the 22nd. We want to do all NYSA, all right? And uh, you can submit to Monica at info at Indie Fire Radio. That's the wrong person? I'm so sorry. Yes, you can submit to Shaban at info at IndieFireRadio.com, or you can skip the middleman completely, or the middle woman completely, and go to the website, www.IndieFireRadio.com. Click on the New Music Monday submission. Make sure that you tell a little bit about the artist, or if it's yourself, yourself, um, a little bit about the track, where you're from, and do not forget to upload the file, because what good is it going to do me to say, you know, oh, man, this is, I don't know, Y&G Kizzy, and he's from uh, Nigeria, and he's got this fire track called Addiction, but he forgot to submit the track. You know what I'm saying? So let's make sure that we upload the track first, and then all that information, it will come directly to me, and I'll go ahead and get you lined up for rotation on New Music Mondays. Uh, we haven't given it a name yet. We'll have the name by the end of the night. Um, but we're going to say the Nigerian edition, all right, on a Monday the 22nd. Okay, let me back up one day. I have it right this week. I said last Friday or Thursday. Today's Thursday. I said last Thursday. Happy Father's Day on last Thursday, you know, because it was Father's Day on Sunday. When in actuality, I was just preparing you all. I knew I knew the date, but I really didn't. I was, you know, just, just letting you know to go ahead and get your gifts early so you don't have to stress out on Saturday, you know, when tomorrow, trying to. Then again, Maybe you should wait till tomorrow. We buying black tomorrow, right? Yeah, so you maybe you should have just waited until tomorrow and uh, get that gift for your father, your husband, your uncles, your brothers, your grandfathers, uh, uh, stepdad, all those men with, you know, significance in your life and the roles that they play in your life. Make sure that you do honor them on Father's Day, all right? Let me see what I got, what else I got for you. Okay, next week, next week, Monday, New Music Mondays. Next week, Tuesday, we have um, best-selling author Denora Boone. Uh, I should say best-selling author and publisher uh, Denora Boone is going to be with us, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then on Thursday, the 25th, yes, will be Jordan Pauline, singer, songwriter, actress. Remember, I told you she's been on Ant Farm, um, Love and Hip Hop, CSI Miami, uh, American Next Top Model. She's been a little bit of everywhere. So we'll have Jordan Pauline on the show on the 25th, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For those of you all who are supporting her in California, that's 3.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. All right? Cool. I don't think I have any more announcements. 
Um, until next week, congratulations to all those, those uh, high school students and college students that are continuing to graduate. Congratulations to the class of 2020. You know, as you all know, I, I graduated last year, but I'm graduating this year too. Um, but my graduation has been pushed back to December. So um, congratulations to all of us, you know, graduating uh, in the year 2020. All right? Enough about me and what we do around here. I want to talk about my guests. Guys, you know how excited I get when I have someone who is on the show for the first time, how excited I get when they debut their music for the first time, you know, or they're doing a book release, a title release, you know what I'm saying? I get excited about all of that, that you would feel so privileged uh, to come on the show and, and, and present this to my listening audience. Uh, I get so excited. Um, so I had a guest for tonight, and certainly, I had a guest for tonight, and they had to back out for one reason or another or another. And uh, I had someone to jump in at the last moment, you know, like yesterday, and she goes, hey, yeah, I really, I want to do it. I want to do it. And I was like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Then I got her bio and started to read her bio and was just like, oh, my gosh. You know what I'm saying? Um, You know what? Never mind. I ain't even going to talk about it. I'm going to just read you the bio so you can sit over there and be like, oh, my gosh. You know what I'm saying? My guest this evening is authorist, motivational speaker, and entrepreneur, Lavana D. More, uh, comma, MBA. There we go. She's a native of Newport News, Virginia. She served in the U.S. military for 21 years and is currently a project manager in Augusta, Georgia. She possesses numerous degrees to include an AAS in intelligence operations, a BA in terrorism studies, and a master's in business administration. She plans to pursue her doctoral degree in education with aspirations of establishing her own STEM charter school in the state of Georgia. Y'all saying wow yet? All right, I ain't done. Ms. Moore excelled in the military by obtaining numerous senior level positions. Her dedication to people is evident in everything she does, as she is a devout mother of three, an entrepreneur, an authoress, combat veteran, and aspiring educator. Her accomplishments and accolades are many. Specifically, she is a member of the National Society of Leadership and Success, Sigma Alpha Pi. Hey, so am I. <laughs> we, we didn't talk about that. So am I. Yes, she is also a member of various Greek and fraternal organizations to include Kappa Epsilon Psi, Military Sorority Incorporated, the Southwestern Buffalo Soldiers Association, Order of the Eastern Star Prince Hall Affiliate, American Legion, and Veterans of Foreign Wars, VFW, all organizations that regularly uplift and inspire many through their numerous community service and outreach efforts. She has served as a senior mentor in the military and established success networking team, that's SNT, within various organizations in an effort to inspire and mentor female soldiers, resulting in her being awarded the Active Duty Service Woman of the Year Award for the State of Georgia, American Legion Chapter Unit 192. She has received some of the highest awards from the military to include the Bronze Star Medal and Knowlton Award for her dedication and contributions to the Military Intelligence Corps. Her passion, drive, and resilience is a living testimony that it is possible to hashtag break the ceiling. Her vision is simple, encourage excellence, fire change, and shape the future throughout enlightenment. Any fire listening audience, y'all, y'all heard this bio? Oh my gosh. I present to you this evening my very, very special guest, authoress, motivational speaker, and entrepreneur, Lavana G. Moore. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> wow, that, you know, it's crazy because you never really hear yourself until you hear someone read your bio. And I'm just sitting here like, wow. I just want to say thank you so much. It is a privilege and an honor to be here. Um, happy Juneteenth, everyone. We're on the cusp of our holiday, so I want to put that out there, but it is such a privilege to be here this evening. So I am excited, and I am inspired just by being here and knowing that there are people listening here this evening. So thank you so much for having me. You are so very welcome, and thank you, thank you, thank you to you um, for, again, accepting the invitation on such a late notice and uh, just being able to be here this evening, giving so freely of yourself, your time, those things that you're passionate about to share with myself and my listening audience this evening. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. 
So I'm just going over this bio, and I'm just in awe. Like, I had the opportunity to write uh, my mother's bio mm, not too long ago, and I normally present her at speaking engagements and um, just just reading through your bio and, and all that you've accomplished thus far, besides obtaining your doctoral degree, what more do you want to do? So I, like, honestly, I feel like I'm always a work in progress. I'm probably my own worst critic, but my goal, <laughs> aside from everything that I've done, is to just make sure that I am planting seeds for four generations mm. behind me. Um, mm. That's always been my goal. Everything that I have accomplished and set my hands to has always been in an effort to inspire and to encourage people to let them know that it doesn't matter what walk of life you're from. It doesn't matter the hand that you're dealt. What matters is what you do with it, and you get to choose the type of person that you want to be and the type of things that you want to accomplish in life. So if I if I would say anything, I would say that I'm very passionate about our youth and the generations that are coming behind us because that is our future, that is our legacy. So I aspire to regularly try to plant seeds into our young people to uplift them and to help them become much more successful than we ever could be in in a much faster pace. Why um, a STEM charter school? So I feel like them is very important. Like I, I work in a highly technical career field. So I did military intelligence for the the entirety of my career in the military. And one of the things that became very obvious to me was the fact that we are underrepresented in highly technical career fields. I remember going through my technical training in the Army and being told that you're probably not going to make it because mm-hmm. we have a 80% mm-hmm. attrition rate and then graduating and being the only black woman to graduate in my class. Um, Wow. I feel like that as a people, we definitely have the aptitude to do it. It's just no one is presenting those opportunities to our children and to our youth and saying, hey, you can pursue a career in IT. You can pursue a career in aerospace or, you know, highly technical career fields. I mean, our ancestors invented uh, a large majority of the things that are going on today, but mm-hmm. our children mm-hmm. and our youth are not being told that they can aspire to those things. So I feel like STEM is very important, if for no other reason than to give our youth that exposure. Awesome. We not too long ago had a young lady on the show. She may have had a birthday by now, but at the time she was on the show, she was 15. And I want to say she is from Newport News, Virginia. Um if it's not Newport News, it may be Portsmouth, but she's from Virginia. And um, she has taken upon herself because of where she was located or where she's located, um, the STEM opportunity is not being presented to um, youth, children of, you know, ethnic background at all. So she took it upon herself to create her own nonprofit. She actually has several nonprofits, um, but this is the one that she focuses on the most, you know, she goes out, she does speaking engagements, she's been on the news, she's been on talk shows, she just won, um, is it Steve Harvey that does the, the Disney um, the Disney sponsorship for like, I think it's like two weeks, and they send the kids there and they um, learn all about, you know, uh, whatever it is that they're seeking to go to, you know, major in or minor in once they leave high school. Anyway, she won the scholarship um, to go to Disney, and she's just doing phenomenal phenomenal thing. Um, she has a lot of, you know, uh, scientists and engineers, especially women of color, who are backing her and supporting her and pushing her, you know, and, and encouraging her and letting her know that, you know, the importance, not that she doesn't know, but just the importance of uh, what she's fighting for and how far she's really going to be able to go because this is something that, you know, uh, uh, children, um, ethnic children are, are, because they're lacking in it, they don't know how to present it to others, and she's mastered that wonderfully. So I definitely feel like um, no matter where the school is set up, um, exactly everything that you said or everything that you said 
I'm repeating myself a lot today. It's like I have a, the internal echo. I can't hear myself. But it's like everything that you said, you know, is, is so important um, and so, so true. I wish that a lot of the opportunities that I'm seeing now, granted, I had those opportunities or I had similar opportunities, but everything that's being uh, presented to children of color now um, is, is just phenomenal, I think, personally. So I can't wait to see what happens. Um, with that, have you started your doctoral degree? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's in the works. I am still working on my business plan because I want to not only look at doing a STEM charter school, but I do feel like, um, okay, so the reason I went with the charter school instead of like a traditional school is because what a lot of people don't know is that with charter schools, you actually have a lot of freedom when you're picking the curriculum. And I thought mm-hmm. that that was very important in regards to not just teaching the technical side of things, you know, the science and technology side of things, but also looking at culturally, you know, what are we teaching our children in the classroom and and building a curriculum that uplifts us and educates us on the fact that our history started long before slavery. I feel like those mm-hmm. things are important and that a lot of our children, a lot of children of color are not being taught their true history in traditional public schools. So that's some of the things that, that I'm looking at um, in my pursuit of starting this STEM charter school because I feel like if you tell a man who he is and you tell him that he's great, then he will aspire to greatness. And I feel like a lot of our children are not really being told the truth and they're not being told right. the, the fact that their ancestors were the creators of geometry and, and arithmetic and astrology and a lot of the things that are now being considered too high for them to obtain, um, I just want to bring that back into that classroom and say, you know what, you are great. You come from greatness. You come from a line of inventors and innovators and, you know, just brilliant people. So you can do this. You can do this. It's not too hard. It's not unobtainable. And it doesn't matter your economic status. So Mm -hmm. those are some of the things that that I really would like to see happen um, in the schools, and I also would like to see meditation being incorporated in schools. Um, I feel like the disciplinary structure in schools nowadays is designed to subdue and is not designed to really address the root of why children misbehave in school, and I feel like meditation could definitely serve a very positive purpose in in the school system. I'm all excited now. Um, Like, I I need this now. Uh, (laughs) I want to see this, you know, put into fruition now. But I understand everything about the business plan. I I get it. Um, But I, I look forward to having you back on the show. I don't know if it's, if it's two, three, four, five years, from now when the school is up and running, I definitely look forward to having you back on the show to to discuss everything that, you know, that you, you poured into um, the creation of the school and just letting people know uh, that the opportunities are available for uh, the children of color and hopefully to see other people expand upon, you know, your ideas, uh, your thought processes and, and kind of go the same way. That will be just amazing, I think. I would love to. I would absolutely love to. I I will always have time for you because I feel like you are definitely, um, you replace the, the situation with the show and everything. I believe in destiny, and I don't think, I don't take that lightly. I don't think that it is by uh, coincidence that I'm here right now at this very place in time. So absolutely, anytime that I can be available to you and to your listeners, I'm I'm here. So just let me know. Oh, thank you. You know, I used to question, I stopped doing this last year. I used to question why I was being connected with so many different people. Um, The first, I would say, celebrity that we had on the show, I doubted myself, you know, um, because I didn't understand why this person's management sought me and this show out, you know, and it wasn't until the interview. I mean, I was nervous. I was just, oh, oh, I was all over the place. But it wasn't until the interview and right before, you know, I, I do my little five minutes with my guest before that I actually got to, to hear, you know, from her why it was so important for her to be on the show. And, and since then, we've had a, quite a few um, 
celebrity or, or, or main um, artists that are in the, the music industry, not independent artists, um, and I stopped questioning, you know, because, again, as you stated, everything does happen for a reason. Uh, divine destiny, why we were brought together, I don't question it anymore. I run with it, and um, and I have fun with it. I say that. I have fun with it. Um, you mentioned that you were the only female and, well, black female in your graduating class. You were in the military for 21 years. What was that experience like? I don't know how long you've been out, but when you were in, like say when you first went in, what was the whole experience like just being a woman and then a woman of color up against, you know, men or, or, or positions that you know typically you see white males in those positions? What was it like for you? Very um, groundbreaking. It was very enlightening in regards to it, it was a cultural shock for me. I grew up in Newport News, Virginia, predominantly black. I went to predominantly uh, African-American schools, and, you know, um, I lived next to uh, people who worship Islam, and it was just a whole vibe. Like, my whole neighborhood, it was a very black power, like, vibe. And I really didn't realize how much race mattered until I joined the military. And to be told that... <laughs> yes, yes, to be told, like, you're not going to do this. You you can't do this. You're not going to make it. Don't worry about it if you fail. You know, it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. most people mm-hmm. that look like you don't make it. You know, um, it. I didn't let it discourage me, though. Like, I looked at where I had come from, and I was like, y'all don't know me. Like, to be honest, <laughs> that's what I thought in my head. I was like, you guys don't know me. You don't know where I'm from. You don't know the challenges and the adversity that I had to break through in order to be even be here. So I always use um, where I came from as a motivating factor to say, you know what, I've been through so much and I've seen so much. Like, I'm not going to let you guys break me. And then I also thought about all the young black women that will come behind me. And I was like, if I don't blaze this trail now, then it'll never be broke through. And there'll be so many young women that will come behind me that won't be able to do what I have done simply because there hasn't been a path that has been established for them. So um, there's a lot I could say about military service. It, it, is, it is definitely different than the, the normal society that we live in every day because you are kind of in a bubble and the military mm-hmm. creates its own culture and its own society. But I will say the one thing that is definitely present is the race factor. It's definitely mm-hmm. present. And there are so many of us that have worked hard to tear down those barriers. Like we've seen our first female, black female general officer. We've seen the first black female command sergeant major that has been in charge of the drill sergeant academy. And these are sisters just like me that are like, we won't accept the status quo. We're not going to accept what you think we're supposed to be, but we're going to show you that we can be more than what would ever be expected of an African-American woman. Wow. Now, I, I was a military brat. Uh, my dad was in the military, uh, the Army, and now my oldest is in the Army as well. He's been deployed to Kuwait since October. There's a couple more months before he returns home. Um, but something that I've noticed, you know, um, it hit who? He was the one, like, I never would have thought he would have went in the military anyway because he never listened to me. You know what I'm saying? So how is he going to take orders from um someone else that that was my mentality with him joining you know you you can't even listen to your mom you can't clean your room you know you can't do the basic things how are you going to listen to someone in the army you know barking orders at you all the time and uh it was it was a change for the better for him you know he did college for two years and that wasn't him you know what i'm saying and he decided to go in, in the military and it's been just a change you know like i said a change for the better for him granted uh he still has issues taking orders you know um, he still likes to mumble under his breath and, and mouth back or whatever. But um, for for him, you know, my concern right now for him is being being away from me, being mm-hmm. maybe like stationed in Texas or whatever, but being in another country and how with all of the, you know, um, the social and the racial injustice that's going on right now, like I wonder how that's affecting him um, and other um, black men 
while they're, you know, deployed um, into these other countries. That that right there is really, um, I spend a lot of my, you know, days in prayer just for him, just so that, you know, because I know that they see what's going on in our country. And, you know, because of the pandemic, you can't send anything. Like um, the mail is restricted now, so you can't send anything um, just to be able to encourage him. And, like, Wi-Fi connection is spotty. Sometimes you get it, so you really can't talk to him. So I I just wonder, like, what's going on in his head at this point? You know, does he, I know he wants to be here on the front lines protesting. I know that. And he sees what, you know, other servicemen and women are doing. I know that he wants to be here. But it's in the back of my head, you know, or to the forefront, I should say, you know, exactly what's going through his head. How is he absorbing all of this? How is he you know, processing all of this, and then again, being on foreign land, you know, are they treating them any differently? You know, I have so many questions, um, but anyway. So I would say I, that, I say that I, go ahead. You know, I was going to say that um, I definitely can tell you that um, I would think that he is probably, he's probably torn, and I say that because obviously he wants to be here. I can guarantee you that. I remember all the times that I was overseas and I would hear about things that were going on in the U.S. I was actually in Korea when 9-11 happened, and I wanted nothing more than to get on a plane and come home just so I could be there to support and, mm-hmm. and you know, do whatever I needed to do in the midst of all the turmoil that was going on here in the U.S. Um, so that is a, a very heart-wrenching thing for any service member is to see things going on in your homeland and knowing that you can't do anything about it because you're thousands of miles away. Um, so that, that can be very difficult to deal with. In regards to how he's being treated, surprisingly enough, I've traveled a lot um, in the Middle East, and I will say that when I was in the Middle East, I was treated far better than I am treated here in the U.S. Um, you would be surprised how many countries understand our history as black people and, and actually embrace our culture and treat us with a with a large amount of respect. Like I, I remember being in Dubai, Iraq, Afghanistan, and having Middle Eastern women walk up to me and say, you're so beautiful, your skin is so beautiful. And being in Korea and Japan, and I walked into a Japanese store, and they were playing Jay-Z. And I walked in, and they're like, oh, my sister, you know. <laughs> they're like, my sister, how you doing, you know, and I'm sitting here like, wow, like, like you guys embrace our culture, and I think that that is a, a fallacy that the, the, the media puts out that rhetoric in the U.S. that, oh, all these countries hate us. They don't hate us. They hate the institution of the United States mm-hmm. of America. Um, mm. Because black people are very much so embraced when we go abroad. Um, and and it's crazy. It's it's sad and and joyful at the same time. You know what I mean? That I can be so embraced yeah. in a land that's not mine theoretically, but then when I come home, I have to deal with racism and mm-hmm. and disparities and you know just all of this negative rhetoric about people who look like me on the TV every day. That that's very comforting um, to know. And, and you you made a point. Like, I didn't even think about that because I'm so uh, in my own thoughts about him, but I didn't even, like, kind of put two and two together. You know, we were in Germany for a minute, and I've been back to many European countries since then. Um, and you, we are embraced um, differently uh, than even, even here. You know, we get on foreign lands and um, – I don't know. I don't want to say we're placed on a pedestal, but um, that's what I feel like. You know, they, they treat us a lot better. And, and as you stated, you know, um, because of what this country stands for and, and the institution behind um, um, the forming of the United States and, and everything that's going on, you know, um, I, I, I believe that they do empathize, you know, and, um, and they do understand um, so that's very comforting for me, right there. What you said, because like, I I didn't even think yeah, about that. Absolutely, I didn't, you know, put it together. But I know for sure that he wishes that he 
could be here. You know, I've, I've seen him less and less on Facebook recently um, because everything he or they're able to read about, just, it pisses him off. And so um, I just keep him, you know, lifted in prayer for the moment. Definitely. Uh, and I will as I know well because it said, is hard to be. Please do. Please do. Yeah. You've said a couple of times uh, in, you know, discussions tonight about uh, breaking through and being able to break through and what you did to break through. I want to talk about this hashtag, uh, Break the Ceiling. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What exactly exactly is that about? So the whole concept uh, behind, (laughs) behind my book, Breaking Through the Concrete Ceiling, is, you know, you have that theoretical ceiling, the glass ceiling that a lot of people talk about in corporate America where there's this invisible ceiling that prevents you from going to uh, a level higher than people have achieved before you. And and most of the time it occurs amongst minorities where companies will say, okay, we'll let you get this position, but you're never really going to, you know, like we'll, we'll give you just enough right. where you feel like you are valued in the company, but someone's always going to be in charge of you. So I started looking at that in regards to life and, and how we approach things as a people And I took it a step further and said, you know what? I remember growing up in an urban neighborhood, and that ceiling wasn't glass for me. That ceiling was concrete. Like, it seemed like there was no way I could break through that and and get to a place in my mind, in my body, in my spirit where I I was at peace with who I was and the things that I wanted to accomplish. And it it takes so many faces in those type of environments. when you look at the educational gap, you know, children not being afforded the same quality educational materials in urban communities as they are in suburban communities. And then you look Mm -hmm. at the financial gap where most of the families in those communities are living on minimum wage salaries. So you get to a place where you're like, man, this this feeling is more like concrete, you know, when you're looking at it from those communities. So, I honestly wrote this book because I was instructed by God to write this book. And when he first gave it to me, I really didn't understand the concept. And as it started to unfold, to realize that the number one premise behind breaking through any ceiling in life is recognizing who you are and the power that resides in you. A lot of us are never told that we have God-like power on the inside of us and how to apply that power. Like, I wanted to make sure that this book served as a blueprint because I remember growing up and people always told me what I needed to do, but they never told me how. They never told Mm -hmm. me how. And that was the most frustrating thing as a young person trying to figure out, you know, what is my destiny? What is my purpose? Like, how do I get there? And people say, oh, you need to get a job or you need to do this. Or, you need... But no one's telling <laughs> right. you, you know, no one's teaching you, like, okay, this is how you write a resume that's going to get you a job. Right. Or right. this is how you present yourself in an interview so that you can get the job that you're trying to go after. So I really attacked the book from that standpoint, you know, where I put seven principles in there to say, okay, this is a blueprint for how you start to break through this ceiling. And it really starts with self. It absolutely does. It starts with self. Guys, we have another book on the list to read. You know, I I have so many authors on the show that uh, have a ton of books that I'm so far behind in because they're sending me books or I'm, you know, downloading their books. And uh, so, guys, I just want to tell you, we have another book that we need to add to our list. Like, I need a book club or something. Um, You do. You really do. Sit around and you know pick a book of the month and you know have open discussions on the show. That's the idea. Can you jot that down, please? Thank you. Um, that is an idea because again, I I I push the books of the authors that I have on the show and a lot of my listening audience, you know, they're purchasing the books and they're talking about you know giving me the feedback. I didn't write the book, you know what I'm saying? Go give the review where it's needed to the author. But yeah, that would be a phenomenal idea. Uh, well, that is a phenomenal idea. Um, yeah, we, we might need to look in that, definitely. When you first started writing, and is this the only book that you've written? 
yes. This is this is my first book, but it is not my last. I'm already working on my second book. I'm not going to spoil the title or anything like that. But yeah, I'm already working on my second book. So, but this is my first book. So, and so how did you? How did that all, you know, come about? I've heard so many stories. I used to write um, in in journals in high school, and, and we would have little books that we would pass around, or you know, I used to write poetry, or you know, I've always been just very inquisitive about writing and, you know, I've heard all types of stories, but how did it all start for you? So it really was, uh, I would say it was a transformational process. And and what I mean by that is when I first started writing a book, I was always pretty good at writing and I became better at it as I um, started doing college courses and things like that. But at the root of it, um, it required me to be very transparent, which is something that I initially wasn't comfortable with because when you reach a certain level in life, a certain statute in life, you kind of don't – you want people to know your story, but you don't really want them to know all of the stuff that you're not right. proud of. You know what I mean? Right, So right. But when I started <laughs> writing the book, you know, I heard um, – you know, I heard the universe so clear that was like, if you really want this book to touch people and to get the message through, you're going to have to be transparent. You're going to have to be real. And in that process, it freed me in a lot of ways because I had to let go of that, you know, well, I don't want people to know about that. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but when I initially started writing, like there were days where I could write page after page, and then there were days where I would write nothing because I would have to just be one with myself and meditate. I I basically gleaned inspiration from a lot of different things. Sometimes I would be out going for a run, and an idea would come to my mind. Like I got to the point where I would carry my phone everywhere because I would do voice notes a lot of times. Like if I was out Mm -hmm. and I saw something, you know, and – and I got inspired in that moment or, you know, God spoke something to me, I would immediately do a voice note and say, you know, make sure you put this in your book type of thing. So it was a, um, it took me about a year because I refused to just write just for the sake of writing. I didn't want it to be a bunch of fluff and a bunch of just words on a paper just to fill up a book. Like I wanted every single word to matter, you know, and so, If I wasn't in a headspace where I could pass that knowledge on, I didn't. I would meditate. I would say, okay, let me balance myself so that I can give my readers the absolute best version of me. And since um, publishing your first book, um, how has, you know, you mentioned that you're starting on the next book or you started on the next book, but... Since publishing your first book, how has your the writing process changed for you? Are you realizing so, um, things a little differently than you did before? Are you um, still incorporating your meditation? You know, um, what what exactly now is, is anything different than before, or has have it, honestly, has it changed? Honestly, um, I always meditate, so that's just a part of who I am and what I do, but as far as my writing style, um, absolutely things have changed because I've grown as an individual. You know, I've grown in knowledge. I've grown in enlightenment and consciousness. So for every level that I obtain, I plan to put that in the next book um, because I feel like it's important for my readers to see that growth in me so that they can know that that growth is possible. Um, So definitely, like, my voice – not so much has changed but has evolved because it's the evolution of who I am. So I definitely want people to be able to connect with that and, you know, and for that to resonate with people. And I'm I'm pretty transparent, so I don't have a problem sharing with my readers, like, you know, this was my process, and I talk about that in my book. Like, you know, it's not like every day is roses, and, and I'm just telling you guys to be hopelessly optimistic. Like, resiliency is finishing and sometimes when you finish you're beat up you know and and it and it requires some tears and and you may get some bruises along the way but the the goal is to finish 
And so mm-hmm. I'm very um, clear about that when I write is that I'm not telling you that every day you're going to feel like it, you know, or every day you're going to wake up and say, you know, I'm so inspired because I read this book. Like, that's just not realistic. You know, I, I try to give, um, like, foundational principles to help guide and say, okay, when you're feeling this, embrace that pain. Embrace that struggle because that's going to become a part of your fire one day. That's going to become a part of why you go so hard and why you're so passionate about what you do. Um, and I don't, you know, the things that they feel, the anger or the despair or, you know, whatever that emotion is, is wrong. It's not the emotion ever that's wrong. It's what do you do with it? You know, if I'm angry about something, what do I do with that? You know, do I use that to fuel a passion that I have or do I lash out? And those are the things that, you know, that matter ultimately in life. Hey, now, what's good? It's your girl, Jana Blackwell, C-Town Records, Mistress of Soul, and you're on the air with the hottest independent station, Indie Fire, with your host, Nakia, giving you that heat right here on the station, bringing you all of the hottest hip-hop hits, Indie Fire. Thank you, Jana. Our 2019 Indie Fire Radio Awards show, Best Female R&B Song Winner. Ooh, if you're just tuning in, you're live right here on Indie Fire with your girl, Nakia, and my very, very special guest this evening, entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and authoress, uh, Lavana D. Moore. I want to read, like, your whole bio all over again. I really do, um, because there's so much more. If you guys are just tuning in, you've missed so much that she has been able to pour, not only into myself, but I'm sure the listening audience as well. So, you get the opportunity to go back and just read her bio and then listen to the show, connect the two, um, and, and connect the three, actually, because, you know, people like to put a face with a name and what's going on in that individual's life. So you'll see her picture plastered everywhere for promo. So make sure that you are supporting um, this um, beautiful, beautiful queen. Where can they purchase your book from? So my book is currently on Amazon. I have it in both Kindle as well as uh, paperback. So if they just search Breaking Through the Concrete Ceiling on Amazon, um, it'll pop right up. I'm actually at the top of the list. So thank you very much for all the people who have read the book and given me a review because I'm at five stars right now on Amazon. So I'm really excited about that. But they can also go to my website as well. It's uh, www.breakthecealing, which is T-H-A. I did that for the culture, <laughs> not T-H-E. <laughs> dot <laughs> um, com <laughs> and it also has my bio it has I have a video blog because I started doing video blogs a while back even as I was going through the process so I posted a lot of my video blogs on there the link to buy the book is also on there so there's just a lot of information on there about me and the book tour and different things like that as a writer um, do you consider writing to be a spiritual practice for you? Absolutely. I feel like words matter. And um, me, spiritually, I believe that, you know, the power of God resides in me and that the way that we manifest things in in the world that we live in is through our words. You know, it, it, it manifests things in the natural when we speak things. So definitely... Um, Writing for me is a timeless work. Like, it gives me so much joy in my heart to know that somebody, a young person, could read my book 50 years from now, 100 years from now, you know, and still be able to get that wisdom and that knowledge that was applicable today. So, absolutely, I feel like it's a spiritual, it is a spiritual work. And I've asked several, I'm not sure which genre you're under, but I've asked several Christian fiction and urban Christian fiction um, authors that question. And the answers I've received have been interesting, you know, all across the board. You're writing under this genre, but um, your answer to that question is no. Uh, (laughs) And then you respond, I'm compelled to, um, you know, write how I feel, but something has to compel you, you know. 
Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I, again, believe that that is all a part of the, the spiritual process. Um, you know, me personally, I have so many books that are, are in me and refuse, that's the only way to put it, uh, refuse to sit down and begin to um, put the, the pen to paper, the fingers on the keyboard, um, make the voice notes. I mean, I have notes, sticky notes that are stuck everywhere where the ideas come through. But again, because I have so many books I'm writing, I'm, I would be writing, you know, seven books at one time, trying to get everything out. Um, so at the given time, the correct time, um, because everything is done in his time, not in my time. So I feel like at oh, my given time, he's going to say, and he's going to sit me still, and he's going to allow me to at least be able to fully express, you know, what I'm trying to get out and have been trying to get out for years in at least one book. And I think that, you know, a lot of authors say that's where you have to start. You know, you get that one book mm-hmm. out, and then the momentum the momentum flows. You know what I'm saying? Next thing you know, you've already written mm-hmm. the second book, and you've written the third book, and then you've written the fourth book. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I just believe when it's my appointed time, then he will ground me um, someplace and allow me to bring all of that to life. Until then, we stay on Indie Fire. All right? <laughs> I agree. For yeah, you. I agree. Absolutely. To you, um, what do you contribute or who do you contribute your success to? Hands down, my mother. And, I, I mean, God first and foremost, but my mother is a very close second after that. I mean, she was a, a single mom, um, not because she wasn't married. So my father was in and out of prison. You know, he, he did a lot of things he shouldn't have done. And so my mother had the daunting task of raising six children by herself. And me just watching her, yes, watching her strength and, and, you know, her tenacity. And the one thing that was always there was her spirituality. You know, anytime she was was frustrated or, you know, she didn't know what she was going to do about a particular situation, I would always see her praying. And so that taught mm-hmm. me at a very young age to seek a higher source for my answers and, and my guidance. And so um, I grew up in the church, in a Baptist church, but honestly speaking, um, now at 40 years old, I embrace all religions because mm-hmm. I have learned that they all have a common thread of enlightenment. And Christianity has its place in time, but there are ancient African writings that precede Christianity um, up to 6,000 years. And so I I refuse to not take those things into account because I feel like ultimately those things were put in place um, for us to be balanced and to be whole. And that wholeness doesn't come in one shape or form. So, but to answer your question, I know that was kind of a long answer, but I would say, like, you know, God, first and foremost, like I pull from um, the universe, the, the energy of the universe and the ancestors daily, and, and definitely, uh, like, she's the strongest woman I know. And I, and I tell my mother all the time, if I could be just an eighth of the woman that you are, I would consider myself successful. Wow. Yeah, I would have to say, you know, God first and then my mother, who I'm an only child. Um, I think most people can tell because I still act very spoiled. But, um, and I, you know, once my parents divorced, you know, my mother raised me and did a uh, phenomenal job um, of raising me. You know, quite the rebellious one I was and still am. But, uh, you know, I would say definitely (laughs) she would... She's my biggest cheerleader. She's my biggest supporter um, in everything that I do, whether it's mistakes, you know, that I'm making. And she's also a minister. Um, so it, that helps. Oh, my gosh, that helps so much because where um, I'm just so uncertain about things, you know, she's always there to add um, her, her guidance, um, her inspiration as a mom. But then she's also able to flip it and give it to me from the, the biblical perspective um, and and mm-hmm. the two of them put together, it all begins to make, you know, much more sense um, to me. And I'm able to uh, use the advice that she gives me to be able to share with others, you know. And this um, this that we're going through right now, you know, you mentioned growth 
in yourself, being able to see the growth in your writing in yourself. Um, but this time that we're going through right now, from the, the middle of March until now, you know, a lot of people have, have just set on uh, things that they could possibly be capable of doing and, and they shouldn't have allowed themselves to become stagnant and complacent. They should have been out here seeking the growth that is available for each one of us right now. And um, that, that's something that, you know, she continuously shares with me. As she pours into me, I'm able to pour into others because this time has allowed me to revive the faith. You know, I've always been, like you said, I was raised in the church as well. Um, but it seems like the older you get and that free will that you're granted to do whatever it is that you want to do, um, sometimes your faith wavers a little. And this mm-hmm. downtime that we've been given uh, has allowed so many people to um, grow, you know, grow within themselves, um, expand on, on the creative sides, you know, that are within them. They, they never knew they had. I haven't seen so many T-shirt companies at all in my life. Everybody can do T-shirts now. Um, but I agree. I love it. I love say, it. say, you know, you know, and then um, I just feel like this time was just the perfect opportunity for everyone to be able to see the growth within themselves. Uh, and it's, it's just been, you know, amazing. But I want to segue into what we're dealing with right now. You know, um, you have a lot of conscious people. You have a lot of people that claim to be woke. Um, but when faced with the circumstances that we're going through right now, um, they choose to sit the back burner. You know what I'm saying? All that talk that they did before, um, they've, they've been hushed. You know what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. I know that you have spoken a lot throughout the interview. And, and as I told you, I saw people's pages. So I, I see what you're, you're all about. But how important is it right now? And this is for our younger generations, not people that are our age, um, but for the younger ones that are seeing all that is going on right now throughout the world. You know, how how important is it for them to embrace um, this this new normal um, that we're experiencing and and actually get up and do something about it? It is it is vitally important. Like I honestly feel like as a culture we're on the brink of a modern-day Harlem Renaissance. And I tell my daughter that all the time. You know, the one thing that I could say, um, I don't agree with anything that Trump says or does, but I saw when he took (laughs) office that, I mean, I just want to make that clear. Like, I I really don't. But the one thing that that I said when he took the office was that if he is who I think he is, he is going to force a lot of people in our community, to wake up, never a bad thing. So, and then with the onset of COVID, you know, it's like I just want to tell the young people that, you know, Ralph Ellison said it best. He said, when I discover who I am, I will be free. And right now I feel like we're in such an important stage in history and time within the universe that it can seem overwhelming to some of the young people. Why is this happening now? It's happening now because we're prepared now. We have been given all the, tool, all the tools and the access that our ancestors so graciously and painfully died for, for right now, for this time right now. And so it, I feel like this time is, although it is painful, it is imperative, you know, and so that's why, I protest. I get out and and I speak out because I actually had a nephew who was murdered by police four years ago. And so this particular issue is very close to home for me. But for all the young people, I would tell you when I was out there protesting, it warmed my heart to see so many young people, college students, high school students. I took a picture of a little boy that couldn't have been any more than like five or six years old, and he was holding up a sign, Black Lives Matter, because this time, although painful, is waking us up. It's waking us up, and it's, it's helping us to realize who we are and the strength that we have that we never knew that we had. And I feel like our ancestors are cheering us on because they fought and they died for this moment. So for every person that's out there that feels, you know, that despair, keep pushing. 
keep pushing because we, we're there. We're, we are there, and it's going to happen. I believe that in my heart and in my soul that we're going to look back at this time and say we wrote history. We're literally writing history every single day that things are going on. This stuff is going to be in the history book. So, um, it, it, yeah, that, that's I mean, I don't want to go too deep because I'll, <laughs> I can really go deep into that, but it just, it really warms my heart. And definitely I grieve for every, every black soldier that we have lost, for every black king and queen that has been slain in the streets. But we are ready. We have been prepared for such a time as this. There's no doubt in my mind that, that we're ready for this. So eloquently put, I understand now, because everybody can't call themselves, I mean, everybody can call themselves, and they do, but everybody can't um, stand behind calling themselves a motivational speaker, um, because that 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 she laid down for you all um, was a speech <laughs> in itself right there. Um, so let's talk about, you know, Lavana Moore as the motivational speaker. When wow. you mentioned protests, uh, what what are you doing? You know, not not just for what's going on in the world right now, but um, what have you done previously as far as you know public speaking or or motivational speaking is concerned? So my motivational speaking actually came by surprise. Um, I started out as a as a master resiliency trainer in the army, which was basically a program that the army stood up to help soldiers build resiliency because they started to notice that because of war and and you know the constant battles that we were engaged in that soldiers were committing suicide more, that soldiers were um, experiencing depression and anxiety more. So the army decided to come up with a program where they would train um, leaders, and we all were trained by psychologists through the University of Pennsylvania for this program where we were to go out into our units and give blocks of instruction on how to be more resilient. And so initially, you know, when I started, I was very interested in it because anything that's going to help inspire people and encourage people, I was like, yes, this, this is what's up. Like, I can do this. But what I found was that as I was delivering the the text or, you know, the lessons that we were given, I was starting to incorporate more and more of myself into those stories. And so um, I would have a lot of soldiers that would come seek me out afterwards and just ask me things. And a lot of them would say, you know, have you ever thought about being a motivational speaker? Because I just feel so inspired after you talk and I feel like I can make it, and I feel like I'm not in this by myself. Um, and so I really just started, like, praying about my purpose and, you know, God, what do you want me to do? And I started pursuing the path of ministry and um, and different things like that. So it all just kind of evolved, so to speak. It was never something that I was just like, oh, I want to do that. It was kind of like a calling that was always there, and as I pursued the thing that I love most, which is helping people, it kind of came to the forefront as I was talking to people and dealing with people and dealing with youth and different things like that. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much how, how that evolved. I completely agree with whomever made the statements or the individual statements. Um, you have a calming presence. So I can only imagine what you're like in um, face-to-face, you know, um, speaking, um, because your presence, it is just, it, you just, it, you have this calm about you. Um, me, you know, I'm sporadic. I'm everywhere. Uh, I use, you know, different voice inflections and I'm just, you know, I'm happy one moment and I'm sad the next. And you know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I could be the sarcastic motivational speaker, uh, but yeah, nobody would probably take me seriously. Um, <laughs> I want to go ahead and give you the opportunity right now to um, answer two questions for me. And okay. from the answers that you provide, I want you to be able to take uh, both of those answers. And if someone is on the line listening right now, and whether they be someone who's in the military, someone who's prior military, someone who is an aspiring author, somebody who aspires to be a public or motivational speaker, 
Um, they've listened to the show, and they are just in awe of everything about Lavana Moore, and they feel like I have attributes just like her, um, but I do not know the next direction I need to go in. So I want you to take the answers from these two questions here and then give that person a bit of advice, all right? What's the last thing that you learned? Oh, man. <laughs> I learn daily, but I would say the last true lesson that I learned that has helped me in everything I do is humility, how to be humble. Um, that can take you so far in life. So many opportunities will come your way if you're humble and, and know that you can learn from anyone. You know, a wise man knows that he knows nothing. And that that lesson has served me so well in so many endeavors in my life is is just being being humble and never forgetting what it was like before you became or started to become who you are. Mm. All right. And what's the last thing that you taught someone? I think the last thing that I taught someone was how to be their authentic self. Um, a lot of people struggle with that because to be you means that sometimes you may not follow the social norms. Um, but I would say that being you is your gift to the universe. It is why God created you. And I use the analogy a lot about a puzzle. When you're putting together a puzzle, every puzzle piece is different. It's shaped different. It looks different. It has different colors. But if you don't have that puzzle piece, the picture is not complete. And I think a lot of people struggle with depression and anxiety and a lot of other things because they're trying to become something that they were never created to be. And if you just maintain self, and embrace who you are and who God uniquely created you to be, you are so important in completing that overall picture in the world. So, yeah, that was the last thing I think that I actually taught someone was to just embrace and be their authentic self. All right. So, again, we're going to take the last thing that you learned, um, which was, you know, humility and how to be humble, and the last thing that you taught, which was um, how someone just needs to be their authentic self. Take those two combined together, smush them real good, and then drop that piece of advice on that aspiring author or a motivational speaker or, you know, someone who is, is struggling right now in the military um, but knows that there's bigger and better things out there for them. Um, what piece of advice could you offer to them? So I would say, uh, first and foremost, always be your authentic self. Make sure that every mistake that you make is yours genuinely. If you make a mistake and you're trying to be something that you're not, you'll never learn from that mistake. Um, humility takes you far as well because a lot of times we're afraid to ask questions because we feel like people are so far ahead of us, so past our level, but you never know what a person has gone through or overcome until you have the conversation. And there is no successful person that I've ever met who is not willing to freely offer advice to anyone who's trying to be successful. So that humility takes you far in that it removes fear. It removes the fear of wanting to ask questions. It removes the fear of being afraid to make a mistake or fail. I don't believe in failures. I only believe in lessons. I feel like the universe is going to auto-correct every time you make a decision and you're still going to get to your destiny because your destiny was written before you were ever born. So I would tell that person that may feel overwhelmed or it's just like, I just don't know the right step. Be yourself because you are exactly what the world needs. And be humble because in that humility, you're going to run into people who, even if you run into them in a grocery store or you just pass them in conversation, never take the conversations and the people that you run across for granted because those people were a part of your destiny from the beginning. They have crossed your path for a reason. So um, 
and and be in success knowing that, you know, successful people fail often, (laughs) it's very important because none of us who are embarking on this path or who are further along this path will tell you I have fallen many, many times. And I I honestly would say that the measurement of your character is not based on how many times you fall, but on how many times you get up. So if I could, if there are any listeners out there that are aspiring to be an author or a motivational speaker, like I said, definitely you can hit me up on social media. I'm available. I will never put a barrier between me and anyone who wants to grow. And I and I can lay it out a little more in detail, you know, this is how you go about doing this because definitely we need more people that are willing to inspire and embrace people and motivate people to become their true authentic selves. That was probably the best, probably the best advice I have heard. Um, Guys, you know, when we have our guests on the show and they drop these gems, you know, this is, this is free game, right? So don't just sit on what they're telling you, what they're saying to you, what they're, you know, trying to. Um... Oh, 